Are you as optimistic as I, or is that possibly a new role that the bank should play? Or well, you know, I I think I might even. Welcome to the Two Tokens Podcast. During these episodes, we will invite guests onto our show and discuss everything token related. You can expect to hear about token business models, the underlying technology stack, token governance, but also more mainstream topics such as NFTs. Does this sound interesting to you? Then make sure you subscribe and keep listening. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to the Took Tokens podcast. In today's session, we'll be discussing tokenization of invoices. Uh, as you know, the Two Tokens Foundation started a series of podcasts. Every two weeks, we will post a podcast on this, these channels on tokenization of everything, really. But today, we'll be uh, honing in on one of the working groups that started last year on tokenizing invoices. And we're doing that in the studio with Dion Bongaerts and Arnoud Buschen... Sorry, Arnoud Buschenke. Uh, Buschenhenke. But uh, let's start with you, Arnoud. Let's do a short introduction and uh, maybe you can tell the listeners who you are. Thanks, Alex. Uh, so I'm Arno Buschenke. I'm the director of innovation for ABNAMRO Asset-Based Finance. Um, and uh, I joined uh, Two Tokens uh, uh, in this, um, well, I would say adventure in invoicing uh, to uh, to tokenize invoices uh, and, and make it easy for, um, for owners of invoices, uh, buyers of invoices, insurers of invoices, to get access to these assets in a far simpler way than, than we do currently in the, in the old school market. Um, that would open up a whole new set of opportunities for us uh, to move forward. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and happy to share some knowledge on, uh, on what we, what we do uh, on the market and, um, and hope to, uh, to interact with a whole lot of you who are listening. Good, good. And here, sitting here next to me, is uh, Dion Bongarts. So maybe you can tell me uh, and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, thanks, Alex. Uh, I'm Dion Bongarts. I'm associate professor of finance at Rotterdam School of Management, Erasmus University. Um, I'm also uh, academic director of fintech at the Erasmus Center for Data Analytics, and uh, work for Two Tokens in the uh, <coughs> research team. Um, and I'm member of the Invoice Markets. Uh, use case and also after digital euro use case for which we plan to do a podcast uh, sometime soon as well yeah so digital is it a digital euro is it or is it a digital or is it a uh, you know a stable coin euro <laughs> that's still to be de- decided maybe both yeah actually. maybe both yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what i hope personally so um what we try to do uh, at two tokens is to show the industry and show the world that tokenization is here and it's here to stay and it's already being applied and uh, so the goal for today is to once again show that in the in in the fintech industry or the invoicing industry really tokenization is a really good uh, solution to to what actually Dion? all kind of companies want to uh, want to finance their sh- their activities, uh, for example, buy raw materials, uh, they need money for that. Um, if you need uh, money, you can, for example, get a short-term loan uh, or so. Uh, you need working capital, essentially. Um, <clears throat> at the same time, you have invoices that still need to be paid. 
you, you could try to accelerate these invoices that are due to you. Um, for example, by selling them to other parties and then get an advance on the amount that's due. Well, this is costly. Uh, there's a whole industry uh, around it. It's called the factoring industry, and it's costly. Um, the max that can be charged on this is about 14%, and for these type of things, uh, 10 to 12% cost is, uh, is normal. So this is a relatively expensive way of getting capital early. Um, on top of that, there's all kind of operational inefficiencies uh, involved there. So what you're saying is that um, you know, the pain in, in trade finance, is that what it is? And, and financing your, your, rev, your, your revenue, uh, that is becoming a problem because uh, of bank legis legislation and it's more difficult for, for banks to uh, now finance uh, invoices. Uh, well, in 2024, indeed, and there is new bank regulation uh, coming into play, uh, Basel IV. Um, and a bit depending on the risk profile of the invoice that you want to get financed, the cost of doing invoice financing will go up by a bit or by quite a bit. So now it's already relatively expensive and it's expected to become even more expensive in the future, especially if you go through the route that you uh, do invoice financing through a bank. So, so I'm old school. I've been an entrepreneur for the last 30 years, and um, we used to use, uh, you know we used to use our bank to finance our, our, our invoices and our clients with factoring, and that was basically the only uh, party we could go to, right back then. But um, with the advent of Basel IV, you're telling me that there should also be other, you know, uh, uh, parties to go to? Uh, well, there currently are already other parties to go to. Uh, the point is that these other parties to go to, factoring companies, have higher funding costs for doing this than banks. Banks can draw on deposits. They're relatively cheap. Uh, we get zero interest on uh, on the deposits that we have at banks currently, so that's relatively cheap for banks to do. Factoring companies pay more for getting their capital, so they also charge that uh, onto their clients. Moreover, uh, all the players in this field need to make sure that they have operations organized, that they have a client base, but also that they have a funding base that they get their money from somewhere. And the requirement to have all of that together is a hurdle for competition in this market. So this is a great uh, solution uh, for democratizing finance in some way and by getting uh, funding and decentralized? Yeah, yeah, because what you can do is you can try to unbundle that mm -hmm. a bit. That, uh, that the operational part and the funding part uh, don't need to be arranged by the same party. And, and so what kind of investors pick up on those, uh, those, those, those invoices? Are those institutional investors or how does that work? Well, currently not so much yet. Uh, but the whole idea is that by making this a market in which you can more easily trade invoices, also institutional investors uh, that have a demand for these kind of uh, <coughs> uh Assets, for example, as a substitute for commercial paper, uh, could invest in these things, make a return on that that's attractive for them, um, 
and provide because there's more demand for it the funding cost uh, goes down uh, and that makes it cheaper for the entrepreneur to finance uh, his or her invoices so which means that for the bank this means a different role for the bank really huh? instead of just uh, uh, Given capital and interest, you know, is the bank is becoming a marketplace. Is that what you're saying? Is that, or is that a little bit too ahead, you know, too, too optimistic here? That is one of the possible scenarios you can you can get in the future. Well, luckily we have a bank here in in the podcast. Arnold, I think you are yeah. right. Yeah, so, somewhat. Somewhat. <laughs> For 18 years now, so yeah. I, think <laughs> I, I think I'm part of that. Um, and you know, ABN AMRO um, aims to be uh, a personal bank in the digital age, right? So uh, this is this is what we've been proclaiming for two years now. Um, and we are moving in that space. So if, if we are moving into a digital age uh, where, where assets are being a different type of asset than what we used to know, even though it's the same asset on your balance sheet, uh, just because of the behaviors that are possible with the asset in future because of digital technologies, uh, it becomes something different. It becomes something you can you can actually start applying in your business in a different way. Um, so, so also our role changes towards those assets. And, and as Dion says, you know, we, we, we are now also a little bit being forced into re-evaluating um, um, all these assets because of base of four coming in. Um, and then um, uh, that also gives us opportunities, right? So, uh, and, and as we were talking about institutional investors, uh, this market is actually growing. Institutional investors uh, are looking more and more into alternative assets because of the very low return on, uh, on, on bonds. Uh, uh, another low risk asset is being searched and invoices as such are being experimented with uh, to to uh, be a substitute for for those bonds, so there is a market that is growing. Uh, however, those institutional investors they are much more keen to look at other institutions to to provide invoices uh, because it's a very transparent market. The, the fintech uh, uh, deal is talking about. Uh, they have um, uh, of course different funding sources for their own uh, models but they also have um, uh, different types of risk models. These risk models aren't um, uh, assessed by the Basel Committee, for instance, or by regulators, but they are made by these fintechs to see whether their business model will work and they can make money and, and don't make a loss. Um, however, that is, that is usually not enough for an institutional investor to say, okay, this is, a, this is an asset class I trust. Uh, so once we bring some sort of transparency to that, um, uh, institutional investors, banks, but basically everybody who is somehow held to a certain standard of delivery on, on, on the results of the asset they invest in uh, will be able to move into this market uh, and, and therewith accelerating the entire uh, invoicing process for basically everybody who wants it. So, but Arnaud, if I'm in uh, a company that as uh, on average, let's say, yeah, I'm just a small and medium enterprise company. I have uh, 300,000 in, in invoices and receivables every week. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that work today? You know, I, I, back in the old days, I would just submit it to the bank and they would give me an 80% advance and the bank would not own those invoices. How does that work? Does the bank or the factoring company buy the invoices? And uh, could you maybe, for those of us who are new to this, uh, give us a, a one-minute crash course what that looks like in terms of yeah, procedure? Yeah, of course. Of course. So, so, so basically we have two, two tastes in this sense. You can get a bank loan and you can um, uh, assign all your invoices to the bank uh, with a general assignment um, uh, contract. And then basically the bank has the right to collect on all your invoices if you go default. So then you simply have a loan that is set for uh, a percentage of your total turnover uh, on a monthly basis. And um, um, uh, you can um, you can basically lend uh, use that money before you have it. The other option, of course, is is factoring. Uh, you you were already t- talking about it. Uh, and when you move into factoring, then basically you assign your invoices or you sell your invoice can can be both ways, uh, and they all go to a factoring company. You get a data connection in which the data that is in your accounts in your accounts receivable. Uh, is being uploaded into the factoring company. The factoring company calculates your availability um, based on the invoices that are outstanding, everything that has been repaid, um, and um, uh, everything that cannot be financed. Because of course there are also invoices that we cannot finance. For instance, in, intercompany fire invoices, uh, invoices that are already past due. Um, uh, there might be credit invoices that are against. Uh, debit invoices, so basically both fall out. So we make a calculation on that, and then there's an availability of funds for you that you can draw on. Uh, and your debtors, they pay to the factoring company on the account that you have given. Uh, and therewith, the, uh, the the factoring limit is being repaid every time an invoice is being paid. This is, of course, the... the this, this is the way factoring has been done for, for, for decades now. And it's, it's quite a good process, right? If you, if you do that with a, with a company, it can, it can be very efficient in, 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 in providing more working capital, uh, um, uh, making the, um, uh, the cash conversion cycle uh, a, a much uh, easier thing to look at. Uh, even help you through uh, seasonalities of your business or accelerate growth. Um, it's it's the normal process, but it is not available for everybody. And um, uh, as you might have seen in the market already, and, and I can understand that probably some listeners might might be interested in that or, or have been interested uh, before. Um, there are more and more fintechs upcoming that are financing SMEs in this market. And that is because the factoring market in itself has not been a really uh, good market for small companies uh, to get funding in because the factoring process in itself is, is quite expensive. Um, there's a lot of operations. Uh, of course, there's the funding, there's risk, uh, there's insurance, uh, and it all needs to be paid. Uh, and and you, you need, you need a, a certain amount of turnover to, to actually make enough Factoring turnover in your in your in your factoring contract to, to actually make it worthwhile, um, and that's also what Dion is saying about the high costs of of, of factoring for SMEs. Um, um, yeah, that's that's 
a lot of that is because of the operational cost and the and the risk on the companies itself. And if that can somehow be less, then more companies would be able to make use of funding like this. So in a way, and, it's like crowdfunding your accounts receivable and just offering them to the crowd well, uh, yeah, using you, decentralized you could, technology. But you know, I wonder if you know because then all of a sudden you have more access. You have access to a wider group of you know uh, cash providers, finance providers. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that would lower the cost, you know, especially for smaller medium enterprise. If you look at the other side of the spectrum, where we use crowdfunding or we use, uh, you know, other means of raising capital to grow, you know, that is really uh, um, something that we're also focusing on. But you know, financing your accounts receivable of this this is quite novel. Yeah, but you know, if if you just look at it from the from the funding perspective, it might not even be cheaper. Because uh, an investor probably wants a better return for the risk that he that he that he is taking than than a money market party because a money market party has models that uh, also allow for for a lower portfolio price. But the um, the operational end of this could be so much cheaper if it's digitalized, completely digitalized, um, than with the operations that are now in place that uh, that might. There might be more difference in the in the in the operations than just the funding. Even though the funding could also be cheaper, because it, if this happens, it moves into a market of abundance. So you're saying of the, 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 the capital costs aren't necessarily lower, but uh, but the uh, efficiency goes up, and you have a, a, a you have more to choose from. Is that the yes? Yes, the competition will definitely be uh, be positive for pricing, of course, and especially when it's substitution uh, competition. Uh, but but it's not necessarily that that prices will go down. But there's be, there's going to be a market of abundance for so, the funding. So, so Dion, so, but you yeah. were just saying in the introduction that banks may have a problem uh, putting these assets on their balance sheets with Basel for. Um, who are the new players on the block who are going to be doing this if it's no longer the banks, if the banks have a different role? Um, then it will be, for example, institutional uh, investors such as pension funds. Uh, yeah, but pension funds aren't fund. going to go out there and buy up those those, those invoices. Then it would no, be uh, no that's, uh, that's typically too small for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so th- this is the first step. Um, through which later on these invoices, for example, by the same um, by the same buyer, uh, could be bundled, mm-hmm. and then institutional parties could buy them at scale. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so that's the interesting part, right? We have a, a coalition here of people who are making this together, you know, who are making this possible. Um, I think in another podcast we should talk uh, to some other other members in our working group, just such as Crowd C, mm-hmm. uh, because they have a different process and uh, they bring these parties together. Is that right? Yeah, they have they have a platform. Um, in the in the end, it should become f- almost fully decentralized, uh, so that also their involvement is not uh, is not so high anymore. Uh, but but they they're working on this uh, platform to create a market where buyers and sellers of invoices can uh, can come together and create a flow and, and create a flow yeah yeah 
But who who regulates this? If, if if you're a company in the Netherlands and you have invoices that go to North America or whatever, what regulator uh, is looking at uh, the, 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 these accounts receivables? Is it dependent on where the platform is hosted or dependent where you're... Yeah, well, tell me a little bit about that. That's interesting. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, so you're not a lawyer. Ah, so next time you should have a lawyer. In the <laughs> next, uh, next, uh, next time you should also invite a lawyer. Ah, yeah. I th- I thank God we have a lot of lawyers in the in the group, and Claire of CMS. Yeah, um, she, she has looked at this. She's looked at this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it should be said that the working group is is creating the white paper and is actually ma- making some deliverables on this. So stay tuned for that. But uh, and besides Crowd C, there's other initiatives. But Crowd C is part of our working group, and uh, are doing this in in, uh, in in California, but also in Europe. Right? Yeah. Um, Arnold, what, what do you know about Crowd C? Well, you know, um, uh, Crowd C is uh, is a TechStar startup, and uh, you might know that uh, ABN Emmer and TechStars run this accelerated program uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, this is how we also got in contact with them. Uh, and, and they started off as, as, a, as a fintech factoring company. Uh, and that fintech factoring company um, uh, has this, I believe, really cool risk model uh, that they are working on to, uh, to assess risk on, uh, on invoices. Um, it's proprietary, but they have a good story on it. So we should definitely have them on sometime. Um, and uh, because they are moving forward in a very different pace than, than incumbent banks can do, they also moved into the space of, of tokenization of, of, of these assets that they are, uh, that are financing. And um, uh, because of their, their forward thinking in this, um, I think we found a party that, that is really keen on, uh, on opening up the market in the way that we are talking about. Um, and this is in a, in, a, in a day and age where banks are not really able to touch uh, anything on DLT yet. Um, uh, it's very welcoming to see that there are parties that can do that and are willing to work with us to see uh, how we can create something that is that's going to work for the future. So, and um, what what is it? Because maybe that's also a nice bridge to why two tokens and the tokenization movement here is looking at at the invoice market, but. Uh, what what is it that CrowdC is tokenizing? You know, what, are they tokenizing the the invoice? Are they tokenizing uh, the, the the amount that needs to be received? You know, what what are they looking at? Maybe this is a question for you, Dion. You know, this is really your your space, right? So they are making a digital token that represents the invoice, really a digital twin. Um, what I understand, that's also the only thing that regulation now allows them um, to do. And um, the digital twin can be sold in, uh, in their marketplace. And then, then you get either fiat currency or a stable coin back for that, a bit depending on the, um, on the implementation. So it's it's a fungible token, I would imagine. That it's, that it's a, a non-fungible, non-fungible, non-fungible token, token. A, a unique token. So one, a, you're saying one we're of making kind. NFTs here for invoices. Uh, we're making NFTs for invoices. Ah, yes, ah. Uh, not collectibles. Not collectibles. No kitty. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no crypto kitties. Uh, <laughs> invoices for for that. It's important that these invoices are stored somewhere. Um, uh, 
and th- and that we don't want to do on a uh, on a blockchain because that's expensive to do. So DLT, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that happens, uh, for example, on an uh, on the interpla- interplanetary uh, file system. Oh, okay. And there you can also manage access rights to, uh, to make sure that you're compliant with all kind of regulations and also that clients are comfortable with uh, with privacy. Yeah. And and what what. What so the 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 ERC seven twenty one or non fungible token or whatever token we create is burned after it's been uh, uh, paid for. Uh, <laughs> it's it first shelved <laughs> because you need to keep invoices for uh, by regulation for a certain uh, for a certain period and once that period is over, it can indeed be burned. Mm. Uh, Arnaud was laughing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Those is, are extensive is, discussions we had about that. Yeah, yeah this, this, is, this is probably really the fun part of, of, of being in this use case. It's, it's, it's getting into all of these details of this invoice asset and then basically uh, uh, trying to dissect these into what is going to be the behavior or or, or the data requirement that is that is that is starting from from this asset feature, and and well, burning it or shelving it, that has probably been a discussion for about two hours on on how to to do that, and it even led to us thinking about a potential business model of a graveyard file storage, that basically says just like a graveyard works, you know, if you if, I, I don't even know whether people know this, but when somebody dies and you bury them then you, you basically buy a lot in a graveyard for a certain amount of time. That can be five years, 10 years, 30 years. There are also eternal graveyard slots. That's really expensive, but you also someone has to inherit that. So it all bring, brings all kinds of trouble. But that same type of model could also apply to, to, to digital assets. And the invoice in itself has this, has this feature of be, being required to be kept for seven to 10 years in most countries around the globe uh, for, for tax purposes. Uh, but after that period, you, of course you want to get rid of it because why, why would you want to keep it? Because in, 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 uh, if you would take a, a normal economic uh, uh, ups, uh, upswing and downturn, then, well, you have 14 years. So what, what kind of value does an invoice of more than 10 years have at, at all in data sense? Um, so, so there is probably no value at all. Uh, but somebody also needs to take care of the destruction of that asset at that point. And then you could say, yeah, that's going to be automatic. But uh, if we are going to take part of the data storage offline, then um, uh, or, or off-chain, sorry, I'm, I'm mistaking here. If we take that off-chain, then the chain might be able to trigger that, but then still that storage needs to get a trigger. And someone needs to... Uh, 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 put storage in place that is going to run for all that time. And if, well, for last time I checked, if you're running a, a file system on SSDs, you have to uh, at least uh, change the SSDs every three years. So there, there is a whole business model in, in, in a new type of cloud storage that, that doesn't exist yet that someone could pick up. Yeah, we were really excited, but yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, and the working group is going to do the business value modeling and, and we'll get um, more details on that. And uh, um, What should also uh, interest uh, people is that I think, and uh, you know, Dion, you alluded to that, it's important that we have standards, right? Uh, yeah. 
That's really helpful. Um, you saw that, for example, also in the in the market for credit derivatives, uh, credit default swaps. There were no standards in uh, in the early 2000s for that, and that market really didn't budge much. It wasn't much growth. And then ISTA, the International Securities and Derivatives uh, Association, came with standards, and all of a sudden this market started to grow enormously because everybody became more familiar with these um, with these derivatives um, they kind of knew that there were a limited number of flavors of these uh, of these de- derivatives and that made it also operationally a lot easier to handle those and if we do that for digitized invoices as well then uh, also all these market parties that can buy and potentially later resell these things um, have a much easier life in working with them i wonder how the uh, regulators are going to look upon nfts and and selling them on exchanges you know (laughs) but also having a standard for nfts makes it a lot easier for a regulator to to look at this because they only need to look at it once approve that basic structure once and maybe if there's very special features added by a certain market party they they may lo- have to look again but then they only need to look at that special feature they de- they don't need to again examine the whole thing so that's why standardization is so valuable also if we want to get these institutional investors um, <coughs> involved they don't want to work with a gazillion different systems they they want one system in which they can basically do all their uh, their business they they may may need to make a small change to their systems uh, i think to that point it's important to note that at two tokens we want to have standards industry standards so we work with the itsa international yeah. token standards so who they will classify the token that we're creating here but it should also be said that Two Tokens is chairman at the Global Trade and Supply Chain Working Group at IWA, which is now part of GBBC. And one of the tokens that we did in an earlier working group was the Electronic Bill of Lading token. So, and here the whole token taxonomy and the whole d- uh, standards were defined and adopted by IWA. So, um, you know, it might be an idea to uh, to do what we're to to move this token in that same work group. You know, yeah, and, and see because if we can invite that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, if we can invite other players in the world uh, participating in this token standard, I think that should be the invitation to anybody who's listening. You know, join us and create that standard. Yeah, the, and that makes it also easier to again build additional business models like the one that uh, Arnaud uh, just mentioned on on top of that standard. Uh, so even if you get multiple of these markets, such a token graveyard, could easily, without having to change the technology for for each market, service multiple of these um, of these markets, and then you get a real ecosystem. And uh, <laughs> and you have a much better chance of this market really uh, really taking off. And with regards to the cost, we did some uh, some calculations. You can imagine that there's quite some fixed costs involved in setting this up. So the bigger this market grows, the smaller these fixed costs are relative uh, to what's being traded. So the cheaper everything will become. Right, right. So uh, Arnaud, 
what's what, what's your view? What do you think? You know, will it, are we very early stages? Um, because adoption is imminent. You know, um, resistance is futile. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, not well, everybody seems to be of the same opinion. But uh, what do you think? Is it going to take ten years? Is it going to be a generation, or are we uh, upon a, a massive adoption of? this new type of uh, tr trade finance, really, that's what it is, right? Yeah. But, you know, I th I th if I think we are to the, the to the hype of, of blockchain right now. Right? Oh, so, I don't so, want to so, hear that. I don't want to hear that word. Yeah. No, I know, but but we're now moving, and uh, that's why I'm talking about the hype of blockchain, and, and, and we're now moving in, into an era where, where distributed ledger technology and tokens are going to move in the normal, into the normal economy. And, um, I think what we are doing now is is laying the foundation for for a market that um, that, that a lot of parties are already interested in. Uh, there, there's multiple um, uh, DLT uh, uh, startups and also um, uh, chain uh, technologies like like on Polygon or um, Centrifuge. They're, they're they're all looking into this. Um, uh, in, in, into this new type of asset that can be tokenized. And the only thing that they lack is this standard to which everybody can adhere so that it becomes a large global market. And you know, the thing is, invoices have been probably one of the best standards internationally that nobody has standardized um, um, uh, ever. I right, remember, like I remember Edifact and EDI and all that. You know, we, we did we did try, right? Yeah, we did try, but all those things required very high uh, investments for a party to join in. And uh, right now, because of the of the democratization and the digitalization of, uh, of of these invoices, because of tokenization, it can become really cheap. So every basically invoices are going to be demonetized, and it, once that happens, yes, we are going to go into the massive flow of everybody going digital. Uh, the, the shoe box of invoices of the smallest entrepreneur is gonna is gonna disappear because they're gonna build that invoice based on the order that you got on your phone, and it's immediately tradable. Uh, so nobody has to wait for money anymore. It wants, and and that is a market. Well, I'm very optimistic about this. When this happens, uh, trade finance, uh, invoice risk, everything will change dramatically. Um, you could even go into spaces where you could say, even though an invoice is not paid yet, um, once an asset has been approved for payment, you can already use that to fund something else. Right? So. So, so in, in the terms of looking at supply chains, that can, those can dramatically be accelerated by, by having all these assets moving on their own. So, so yeah, you know, I, I think it is going to happen. It might take three to five years for, for, for things to crystallize and become of good use. And adoption may even take a little longer. But yes, it's imminent. It is futile to, 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 to resist this. Um, and um, uh, I think it's it's a good time also to to be able to work on it because right now is the most exciting time, right? Nobody has built the business model yet. Everybody is looking at it. Um, uh, and once we start moving into building and delivering, uh, we'll see customers starting to use it. And that's when everybody becomes really happy, of course. Thank you, Arnaud. 
one final comment from you, uh, Dion. You know, you have the last word. <laughs> yeah. So there's one thing I wanted to uh, to add to uh, Arnaud's uh, story, and that is that I think and also hope that in the in the years to come, also the the ecosystem and the public utilities around these tokens evolve. Uh, that's also why we're doing this digital euro use case that we have an on-chain token uh, that allows for much more efficient settlement of payments uh, in this process uh, in this process flow that we also uh, get regulations and laws that allow at least institutional parties to easily buy these things repackaged and in bulk without uh, being classified as an investment fund with all the regulatory costs associated. <clears throat> so if we get those developments um, from the technical part, from the societal part, th that will also enormously help in improving the efficiency of this and uh, helping it to take off. Well, and on that note, you know, we're transitioning to economy 4.0, I guess, right? And uh, digitizing everything. And the tokens are, you know, enabling all that. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it, you know, we need to all start using it. And uh, and so it's a societal, uh, 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 you know, transition. Oh, uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so all we can do here at the movement is just to show the advantages and show how it's done. And, uh, and educate. And educate, yeah, yeah. On that note, thank you both for being here. Um, two Tokens uh, will be posting more podcasts. Of course, we will also be doing webinars and other and post other content that you've come uh, to know from us. Uh, please come back to twotokens.org two and uh, you can find us on Spotify and all the major podcast channels. And hope to see you uh, soon next time. Thank you for listening.